Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. This 40-day season prepares our hearts for the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. We're also continuing our sermon series, Questions, the Beginnings of Faith. What is the burden you've been carrying for so long? Can you imagine what it would be like to finally lay it down? Join us for the message, Can I Start Again? Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. What is the burden that you have been carrying for so long? And can you imagine what it would feel like if you finally laid it down? Well, stay tuned for our message later called, Can I Start Again? If you've not done so already, I invite you to give a an offering to the ministry of this church, you can do that through our website, tumcd.org, uh, through the Church Center app, or I don't know if we got the QR code going this morning or not. We did not get the QR code going, but the QR code takes you to our website, tumcd.org, if you would like to give an offering to our church. This morning's scripture is from Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. Now listen to the word of God. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And now from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. 
Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. This is the word of God for the people of God. Over his lifetime, Jesus made several trips to Jerusalem. Whenever he was there, you could find him teaching in the temple courtyard and generally annoying the religious authorities, which is something that's very fun to do, by the way. It was during one of these visitations that Jesus got up particularly early one day and went to go sit in the temple. Even at this hour, a crowd of people would assemble to hear what he had to say. And as Jesus was teaching, several scribes and Pharisees came towards him, dragging with them a very frightened and disheveled woman wearing only a blanket to cover her. They pushed her forward and made her stand there in front of the crowd. And one of the scribes spoke out, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? It's hard to know what Jesus may have been thinking. I kind of think maybe one of the things he was saying to himself is, so this is why I got up so early today. It was pretty obvious to Jesus that these scribes and Pharisees were not really interested in his opinion of the law. They were trying to trip him up so that he might say something to incriminate himself. Jesus knew that he had to answer this question very carefully. You see, he was familiar with these men. He had run-ins with them every time he came to Jerusalem. To give himself time to think, he bent down and began to write their names in the dirt. And as he wrote, they kept peppering him with questions, but he didn't say a word. And when he was ready, finally, he stood up and he said, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. The scribes and the Pharisees stood there dumbfounded. And there was a long, awkward silence. And the only sound you could hear was the faraway braying of the sacrificial animals. Then Jesus bent down again and began to write out the sins of each man beside his name. At first, it was the oldest of them who walked away, then the middle-aged, and finally, the youngest among them. When the last accuser left, Jesus turned to the woman and asked in a very gentle voice, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us what Jesus wrote in the ground, but over the years, two of the most popular speculations has been that Jesus wrote down either the accusers' names or their sins, and there are several other details in this story that invite speculation. If the accusers had truly been interested in the law, why didn't they also bring in the man who was caught with her? According to the law, both of them have committed a capital offense, though I might add the law did not specifically uh, say that stoning had to be used as a method of execution. But how is it that they caught her in the very act? Sounds like there's some surveillance going on. Was this the ancient equivalent of tabloid media? Was someone lurking around for the sole purpose of catching her? And by the way, where's her husband in all of this? In the ancient world, adultery was defined not just as a married person having sex or having sex with a married person. 
It was defined more narrowly in ancient times as specifically a man having sex with another man's wife. A married man having sex outside of marriage may have been frowned upon, but it was not illegal as long as it was not with another man's wife. I also want to ask, why did the elders walk away first? Well, I suspect the longer one has lived, the more sins one has committed. <laughs> now, this doesn't mean that older people are more sinful. It just means we've had more time. <laughs> but I think this life experience also brings with it a measure of wisdom. We certainly hope so. The young may be idealists, but elders know that in the end, no one ever really successfully always lives up to their own ideals. Time has taught them that eventually all of us have to make compromises. Sometimes all you can do is just to try to do the best that you can, knowing at times that there'll be times that you will utterly fail. Last week we talked about what it means to be saved. And to be saved means that we're saved from suffering the ultimate consequences of our sins. We're saved from ourselves. Then we're saved from the sin itself, and we're freed to be a new creation, a different and a better version of ourselves, self 2.0 maybe, a new and improved version, if you will. This doesn't mean that we slip out of suffering from all the consequences of our sin, however. That woman still had to go back to a marriage in which she had been unfaithful and suffered the disgrace that would follow her indiscretion. But at least she had an opportunity now to make a new start. Jesus had given her a second chance. Now in the story of the prodigal son that we read last week, the younger son was saved, first from starvation, then from the indignity and the humiliation of being treated as one of the servants. Nevertheless, he had still squandered his inheritance, and that inheritance was not coming back. And he still had to mend fences with a very angry and resentful older brother. And think about after their father is dead, because he spent his share of the inheritance, he's going to need the support and the cooperation of his older brother in order just to make a living. Last week, we also looked at how Julian of Norwich, the great medieval female theologian, referred to the human condition as being one of original wounds as opposed to original sin. And we also discussed how in the Bible, the English words that are translated as either saved or healed come from the same Greek word. And in a, even in English, we'll sometimes use the word saved in a medical context. Think about, you know, doctor, can you please save my child? Salvation then is inextricably linked with healing. And healing then brings health and wholeness. So in a sense, salvation is about wholeness. Wholeness in every area of life, certainly spiritual, but also emotional and physical and social and political and material. In God's kingdom, all of us will be restored to wholeness and will fully reflect the image of God in which we were created. When we're whole, then we'll find ourselves then enveloped in joy. You see, God loves us just the way we are. If we never, ever change, God will not stop loving us. God will never love us any less. But I think God loves us so much, though, 
that God loves us too much to let us stay that way. Think about it, even as a parent, even if your child never grows and never changes, you certainly hope they will, but you're still going to love them unconditionally, right? On the other hand, if you truly love your child, you're going to insist that he or she grow and change and mature with age because doing that is in your child's best interest. And likewise, God yearns to heal our souls and to save us from ourselves because God loves us so extremely much. I said last week that the answer to the question of whether or not I've been saved is to say, yes, I was saved 2,000 years ago, and I was. Through Christ's death, we all have forgiveness of our sins and failings. You and I are already forgiven. Christ offers no condemnation. You just have to be willing to accept that forgiveness and to allow it to wash over you and to release you. We're all imprisoned by our own guilt and shame. Now, guilt and shame are highly related, but they are not the same thing. Guilt is the emotion you feel when you've done a bad thing. Shame is the emotion that tells you that, therefore, you're a bad person. Christ re uh, relieves us and releases us from both our guilt and our shame. And that release comes when we accept this gift of forgiveness that God has already offered and is free for the taking. Then we can embrace new life. To accept that release and to embrace new life, all we have to do is to have faith. So what does faith entail? Well, faith has two components. Faith is made of both belief and trust. Now, sometimes we use the terms belief and faith interchangeably, but there is a difference. Faith certainly includes belief, but it goes much, much further. Because we don't just intellectually believe that God has forgiven us. We truly trust that God has forgiven us and that we stake our lives then upon that promise. In a sense, our faith our faith unleashes Jesus's power. We see this in the story of the woman who's healed from this hemorrhage. It was her own faith that healed her through the power of Jesus. And likewise, our faith, in a sense, unleashes Jesus's power to heal us. In fact, in the very next chapter in Mark, right after the healing of the hemorrhaging woman, it tells of how Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth. But the text says, he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. You see, without faith, Jesus' power could not be made manifest. The woman who touched Jesus had been bleeding for 12 years. Essentially, she had been having a menstrual period for over a decade. Now, in ancient Jewish society, she would have been considered ritually unclean, as well as anyone who touched her. Now, for a person to be considered unclean for a few days for whatever reason was fairly common. It happened all the time to most everybody at one time or another. It just meant that you had to do a lot of bathing and washing. Uh, women were considered ritually unclean during their periods, but they washed afterwards and were restored to cleanness. If you touched a corpse, you were considered unclean. 
But, you know, you have to touch a corpse if you're going to bury your loved ones. So being ritually unclean didn't make you or mean you were a sinner, but it did mean that you were separated. And families that lived in tight quarters, they too would be considered unclean during this period of time as well. But to have to follow the procedures for uncleanness for years and years with no break at all would have been a terrible burden for both that person and his or her family. Eventually, she may have had to live apart from her family. And evidently, this woman had tried for years to find a cure for her bleeding and had nothing to show for it. All her money was spent on doctors who had not been able to help her. Now, the text does not tell us why she had so much faith in Jesus, a person that evidently she had never met. And she had been disappointed so many times, I think it's a wonder she still had any kind of faith left whatsoever. And yet she told herself that all she needed to do was to touch the fringe of his clothing. She was probably too afraid, maybe too ashamed, to approach Jesus directly for healing because if Jesus touched her at all, then he would be considered ritually unclean. And she may have feared his rejection. So she decides to just touch him from behind, just touch his clothes. As soon as she did, she knew that she was healed within her body. And Jesus knew that power had gone forth from him. And he asked who touched him. And I can hear his disciples just saying, basically, seriously, Jesus, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. The whole crowd is touching you. Well, she comes forward trembling, falls at his feet and tells him what happened. And Jesus is very moved by her story. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus had absorbed her uncleanness and in return had bestowed his wholeness. Faith always brings healing, though not always in the ways that we want or expect. I know all of us would love to simply pray and be cured of any disease, but we know that it doesn't work that way. We said earlier that healing and wholeness encompasses many facets, spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, social, political, material. And at one time, we may experience different facets of healing. I once counseled a woman dying of cancer who was quite sure that she had received both spiritual and emotional healing from her past wounds, even though she had not received a cure for her cancer. She had received sufficient physical healing, she felt like, that she had at least had the opportunity to watch her children grow up. And she eventually passed away, but she passed away knowing the healing touch of Christ. We all have wounds. All of us carry guilt and shame and a sense of uncleanness from which we need healing and wholeness. Christ is offering it to us if we but trust that we are forgiven and that we let the touch of Christ heal us. Christ and God, God can handle even our deepest sins and fears and shames. The woman caught in adultery was publicly humiliated and paraded through the temple. The hemorrhaging woman had an unclean and an embarrassing disease. 
that had cut her off from family and from community. Well, today is the first Sunday in Lent. It began this last week with Ash Wednesday, and will continue for 40 days, excluding Sundays, until we celebrate the resurrection of Christ on Easter morning. Now, historically, Lent has been a time of fasting and preparation for the baptism of new converts on Easter morning, and it slowly then evolved to a time of penitence and self-reflection for all Christians. And traditionally, this has either included some sort of a self-denial of a particular habit, or maybe the adding on of a specific spiritual practice. So I would say now is the time, if you haven't already, <clears throat> to think about a way that you might want to be observing some sort of Lenten discipline this year. You may have noticed that we made several changes in worship this morning for the season of Lent. I haven't worn a robe in quite some time. So we're going high church for Lent, just because we want to make this season something different and something special. One spiritual practice, on a, a, a personal spiritual practice that I often recommend for the season of Lent is to just read through one of the Gospels. Mark's the shortest at 16 chapters, but just read through one of the Gospels. My fourth grade Sunday school teacher told us to do that, and I've been doing that ever since. But also, perhaps, another practice for this year that you might want to take up is to finally accept the gift of healing and forgiveness that is right there for the taking. Whatever it is in your life from which you need healing, God can heal you. God can heal you from the worst thing you've ever done. And God can, t can heal you from the worst thing that was ever done to you. God can heal you from whatever wound, whether it was swift and sudden, or like the hemorrhaging woman had been lingering for 12 years. Imagine what your life would be if you had no baggage from the past that you always had to be carrying around with you. Imagine the sense of relief if you finally laid down that burden that you've just been hauling around. So are you willing to then to now on let Jesus carry it for you? Let Jesus' touch make you whole. And you'll find that the wholeness offered by Christ, that wholeness will translate into holiness. Holiness of body, mind, spirit, and soul. So be healed. Your faith has made you whole. Amen. And now, let us then, with the confidence that we have as children of God, pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In celebration of Black History Month, uh, Karen Baker Fletcher will now come forward and have this moment from Black Church History. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. This is the last Sunday of Black History Month. And so we've talked about Jarena Lee, a first woman licensed to preach in the AME Church. 
of Sojourner Truth, uh, who received her call and, and, and mission to be an itinerant preach in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and Amanda Berry Smith, who was an evangelist who preached and sang all over the world. Um, and these were 19th century preachers, uh, with Dorena Lee being born in the 18th. Today we're going to move to the 20th century, and we're going to talk about Joseph Lowry. The Reverend Joseph Rowley, Lowry, founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. How many of you have heard of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference? Okay, good. Good show of hands. See, we're in the 20th century, so we're kind of more familiar with this territory, huh? And he was also the third president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And the shorthand for that is SCLC. Martin Luther King Jr. was the first president. Uh, Ralph Abernathy was the second president. And Lowry was the third president. And you can find out all kinds of things uh, on, online by Googling the Reverend Joseph Lowry. But the most beautiful reflection I found is by Bishop Eddie White, who wrote a reflection in 2020 when Lowry died. Now, Lowry died in 2020, and he was born in 1921. At the age of 98, on the cusp of his 99th birthday, I mean, he was almost 100, right? And so one of the reasons to highlight him is because we know who Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is. At least we know something about Martin Luther King Jr. And we know that he died young, much too young, at the age of 39 by assassination. But we often forget those who lived and who still live today and who have been carrying on the tradition of, of, of um, struggling for freedom. And some people call the movement that King was uh, the most famous figurehead for the civil rights movement. Those in the movement called it the freedom movement. And when we talk about salvation, and the Wesleyan way of salvation, we're freed from something, and we're freed to something. So salvation itself is a freedom movement. And Bishop Woody White, in his reflection, writes that what was most important to Lowry was being a pastor. The most important title to Reverend Dr. King was Reverend and not Doctor. The most important title for Reverend Lowry was Reverend and not Doctor. And so we want to lift up 
the living, including or those who lived a very, very long life and died of natural causes. Now, in 2009, Reverend Lowry uh, gave Obama's inaugural benediction at his inauguration. And in July, on July 30th, of 2009, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He was United Methodist. Uh, he was active, very active in conferences um, in the Southeast. Um, his last church was in Atlanta, Georgia, and he was known for making churches, the church, the United Methodist churches in the, the Southeast more inclusive. Um, he, he guided a lot of that work um, to bring us all together towards freedom. Thank you. As I said, for the season of Lent, I recommend go and just choose one of the four Gospels and just read it through Lent. I, I think it's just a wonderful practice. In the meantime, receive this benediction. Your faith has made you well. So go in peace and be saved from every wound and from every shame. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue our sermon series, Questions, the Beginnings of Faith. Join us then for the message, how do I speak to God? You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. <laughs>